evening, everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday night live stream of On Texas Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Jerry Hamilton of On3 and Inside Texas and Rod Babers, former Texas defensive back, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Guys, we are 11 days away. We're almost down to single-digit numbers. It's getting so close. Uh, I, I mean, it's just crazy that it's almost here. But one thing I want to talk about before we really get into anything, before we get into the questions, is Bobby uh, had Kevin Eltaf on today. <laughs> and he had a lot to say, a lot of interesting things. If you haven't seen it, go over to YouTube, check that out. But he talked about the horns down. And um, I don't know if we can bring that clip up real quick. We'll see here. Looks like our producer Matt's getting it. What do you think of the rule of like the horns down, like, isn't that kind of, I, I think of all these rules that are kind of just weird and Texas specific that have come out of the, the big, it really came out of the big 12 more than right. the NCAA in my opinion. What do you, what do you think of stuff like that? I think the, a penalty for horns down is the silliest thing I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's stupid. I don't know about the taunting business. You know, that's the, that's for the referees, but I think horns down is a compliment to the university of Texas. I mean, it, it's funny to me when you're watching football on TV and we're not even playing in the game and they pan the audience and they're doing horns down. I'm like, I'm so glad you're thinking about us. That's why we're one of the most valuable brands in college football. That's the reason right there. Everybody knows us. Everybody knows our horns. Everybody knows Bevo. Everybody knows Longhorn Nation. It's a compliment. Do it all you want. It doesn't bother me in the least. And we damn sure should be penalizing people for doing horns down. I think it's silly. I love it. <laughs> love it. I know, Rod, you go first. I'll go second, but I love that comment. Uh, well, first of all, my my own personal story, when I believe this was um, against Tulane, actually. We played against Tulane. Tulane went horns down on Rod Babers? <laughs> no, actually, I was. I had made some plays. I was balling out of control, doing my thing. Had some Longhorn fans there in the section. After I got two PBUs in a row, I gave the horns up to my people. <laughs> all right? And I got a penalty. Actually, I got a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct for doing the horns up. They said I was taunting uh, the opposing team when I actually didn't do it to anybody but our own crowd. So, yeah, I got actually have an experience of being penalized for doing the horns up, which is pretty crazy. But my opinion about horns down, pretty similar to Kevin L. Type. You know, they have this thing now. They call it free media. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in when Trump won the election, uh, the number was he had like close to six you know, $6 billion in free media because uh, yeah. we had basically talked about Trump so much. Hillary Clinton's number was around $2.8 or something like that, right? Uh, there's a story about, uh, if you watch Game of Thrones, I'm a Game of Thrones guy. There's a story in Game of Thrones and one of the, the episodes of the last season, there was a coffee cup actually left in one of the scenes. They just forgot it there. Uh, but turns out it wasn't even a Starbucks cup, but Starbucks ended up getting close to like $3 billion in free media. $2.3 billion in free media because everybody talked about that cup and everybody in this country, they automatically think about Starbucks when they think about coffee, even though it wasn't a Starbucks coffee cup. So I think when you talk about free media, similar to some of those situations, uh, Texas, when the horns are down, everybody knows what it means. Everybody knows what it's about. 
Even when that kid uh, asks his mom or dad, hey, mommy and daddy, what does that mean? Mom and daddy got to go through the whole explanation. Oh, well, that's the, that's the Longhorn symbol, baby. Uh, they're one of the great brands in college football, but we don't like them. So we want to desecrate their brand and symbol. So we do the horns down. That's what we do. So either way, I'm agree with Kevin Eltop. It helps Texas, man. It's free media. This is free publicity for the brand. It is probably the best and most prominent example of free media in all of college sports. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So think about it this way. What's anything else like that in college sports that's known? Can you think of anything else? Not many examples. Like, there you go. Now, obviously, we're all biased to Texas, state of Texas, so we, we're more familiar. But, I mean, I don't know anything. I mean, is there a Trojans down signal symbol anywhere <laughs> around college sports? I mean, is I mean, I hate Christian Leitner. It was a great 30 for 30, but people don't walk around with shirts on. I hate Christian Leitner. It's 27. I mean, you, don't. you know. Uh, but so it, it, I think it's awesome. I totally agree with Kevin Eltoff. Oh, by the way, somebody asked where the beef jerky is. Oh, yeah, I'm on the road. I got the beef jerky. <laughs> I got him. Robertson's from Love's. Oh, no, got it done, baby. I was coming in hot tonight with that, but I love, <laughs> absolutely love what Kelvin Eltife said, and, and I totally agree. All right, Jerry. Well, one thing that we wanted to bring up uh, is you are on the road today in Louisiana. Tell yep. us a little bit about that before we get to some of these questions. Well, I wanted to take uh, Dancing with the Stars uh, with Brian Kelly, but he didn't return my call. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was stuck going to high schools today, and I went to Acadiana High. I uh, saw uh, Dominic McKinley, five-star, ranked number 22 in non-three industry rankings. He's announcing September 1st, a five-finalist are Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State. It's really been all over uh, the, the place with Dominic McKinley's recruitment. He's playing it really close to the vest. He's doing a good job. He's already a shy kid. I'm not saying shy. Reserved kid in interviews. He's not a kid that's out there doing a lot of social media, a lot of interviews. I mean, he's just different in that way. Um, look, I, I think the RPM Texas is 66-6. I think that's high. Um, look, I think LSU, based on what I was told today, there's a good chance this comes down to close to home. Um, and it makes sense when you think about it. Darius McKinley, his little brother, little being 6'3", 230, playing edge, <laughs> offers, is, he's got two years of high school football left after this year. So if you just think about it from a travel perspective, how much sense does it make for mom to watch son on Friday night, then have to travel somewhere far away on Saturday for her other son's games? That's it, that's a tough hurdle for a family. Um, so it, it makes sense close to home it, it is where this could head. I was told today by one source, they think A&M, Texas, LSU, it may be where this comes from. He has a top three. He's not saying it. I think that top three can change leading into his decision. Uh, most kids know where they're going when they announce their date. I believe Colin Simmons did. Um, I don't know if this one's the case, because I think there could be some different different opinions in the circle. Uh, but he, uh, Bo Davis done a good job. Steve Sarkeesian's done a good job here uh, with this recruitment. Um, you know, I think the defensive line coach, Elijah Robinson at AM has done a good job. Uh Dominic has good relationships with Larry Johnson, Ohio State. They just got Edder Houston five-star today. I don't think that impacts Dominic McKinley. He's in his own lane doing his own thing. Um, and then Todd Bates has is, is done a really good job with Dominic McKinley. So we'll see where he goes. It's 10 days away. 
it's going to be it's not going to be a big TV production type announcement. I think it's going to be a tweet, uh, maybe a little announcement in front of some local TV before their game September 1st. Uh, we'll see which way it goes. I, I, Texas has done everything they can in this recruitment. They're right there. We'll see which way it plays out. Then I went to Lafayette Christian to see Melvin Hills, Texas commitment, 6'3 270-pound defensive lineman. The big news today is uh, I had I, I had Rod, I think, watch his junior highlights, and I'm sure Rod noticed he was wearing two knee braces. So he had an ACL injury early in his sophomore year. They were really took, you know, they had some precaution with him his junior year. He wore two knee braces. The big news today is the knee braces are off. He played in the scrimmage. He only played about 10 snaps in the scrimmage last week. But he play, he's playing without the knee braces. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of a fluid, more confident guy this year. He's got good length. Uh, he, he's got a lot of uh, room to grow into that frame. But they, he plays against Dominic McKinley September 1st, the day McKinley announces. So that'll be interesting to see. But that's where I've been on the road today. I'll head back into the Lone Star State tomorrow. May hit North Shore, may hit Beaumont United. We'll see what uh, we'll see where I head from here. Well, the other big news about the Louisiana prospect is Wardell Mack. Yes. Of course, uh, going to take a visit. Can you give us the rundown on that real quick? Yeah, uh, Wardell Mack, the uh, Florida commitment four-star corner out of John Arrett in Marrero, Louisiana. He announced for Florida over Texas recently. Florida State, LSU are also in it. Um, he told Sam Spiegelman of On3 yesterday that he plans to be at the Texas Rice game September 2nd. He Right now he's planning to go to Miami at FSU. He'll be at an LSU game this year as well. That's why I always say recruit through the whistle. That's what Steve Sarkeesian and the staff do. Hashtag recruit through the whistle. And that's the way all these recruitments are going to be. I was told today, even at Acadiana, some of the staff says even if wherever Dominant commits, it's still a commitment. There's still a ways to go until signing day, right? I mean, so that's the key. These kids are committing before their senior year. I think that's the NIL world. Protect yourself from, against injury, right? But the recruiting process goes on. It really just puts a big X on your back. Uh, no different than, you know, LSU, everybody coming after Colin Simmons, who solidly committed to Texas. But Wardell Max says he's going to be in Austin uh, September 2nd. Uh, bring your water bottles. But he's used to it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, get your questions in. Plenty of time to do that. There's lots of questions rolling in. But before we move on, I need to tell everybody about Energy Texas. We want to thank them for sponsoring the Tuesday Night Live stream. Uh, they're here to help Texans take their energy savings by the horns. With their Freedom Flex plan for $4.95 a month, you can switch plans every 30 days without penalty. Enjoy Texas size rewards and Texcellent customer service and that you can hang your hat on. They serve Texans without the bull. So check them out at energytexas.com. And like I said, we want to thank them for sponsoring us each and every Thursday right here on, on Texas Football. All right. We have a bunch of super chats already rolling in, so let's just jump right to it. John Campbell. Thank you, John. He says, Jerry, you mentioned measurables a lot. Arm length importance is pretty self-explanatory for offensive linemen, defensive linemen, etc. Ditto for wide receiver and quarterbacks and hand size. Can you explain the importance of hand size for the guys in the trenches for both OL and DL? I'm going to differentiate these, and I want Rod's answer on this as well. I've talked about this at length before. So it's arm length for offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. It's wingspan for defensive linemen. There is a difference there. Um, that it, The arm length for the tackles reaching, right? Yeah. It's the wingspan, all these broad shoulders and long arms getting up in the passing lanes for defensive linemen and really using that length. So there's a difference in what those coaches at positions look for. Um, and, that, and that's why 
you know, there was a couple of, there was a, a recruitment this year, Elijah, um, Elijah Brooks, uh, offensive lineman, Eugene Brooks out of California, maybe had a little too short of arms for what Texas ideally wanted at guard. So that wasn't a wingspan. That was just an arm length. Uh, but Rod, I, I want you to jump in here. The importance of hand size for guys in the trenches. Yeah, no, that's interesting um, because, you know, hand placement is, is a big issue when you're talking about uh, watching film, trying to evaluate guys, uh, hand placement. Some guys are violent with their hands. Uh, other guys, you know, more intentional with their hand placement early on. Uh, so in terms of how big a guy's hands is, sometimes you kind of, and, and maybe a false uh, correlation, you would correlate uh, power uh, with, with hand size. Uh, the guys usually, those big mitts, but Another thing about it, you talked about it too, man, getting your hands up, being able to clog and congest those passing windows. That's a big part of what we're talking about here. We're just talking about length overall. And, you know, this goes back to help, man. This is the early days of evaluation, right, of guys who are longer. Um, they they may actually end up on a football field, although they're not faster in terms of 40 times in your evaluation. They may end up being able to make certain plays on a football field um, that only guys who have that kind of length and range can make. Uh, as opposed to guys who may not have that length and range, who may be faster. And you think on a football field, oh, man, the faster guy's always going to be able to make the play. Not necessarily. Right. Legion of Boom kind of uh, proved that over the years with Dan Quinn's system with their Seattle Seahawks. All those guys weren't speedsters, but a lot of that long length of range, right? Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, that's how they covered all the different, uh, you know, dimensions of the football field. They did it with length. Uh, and you can do it. You can do it many different ways, speed and length. Hey, I like to have both, but length is definitely one of those things that uh, evaluation-wise, certain position is more coveted than others. All right, we have a super chat here, man. They are rolling in, Jerry. You're going to have all the jerky in the world. There might be enough for six packs to go around for everybody. Who knows? <laughs> Steve Hampton says Rod Babers is still the best defensive back in Texas Longhorn history. Hey, Steve, I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Hey, you know what? I I, I wouldn't say the best. Because I made a list of the all-time greatest DBs in DBU history, <laughs> and I didn't even crack the top 20, guys. I ain't going to lie to you. That's how deep DBU is. I'll do it one day on here. We'll have to have some fun. But trust me, that's how deep that DBU is. But, but Steve, I appreciate the love, brother. Hey, the greatest number 21 in Texas football history. That's the damn show. <laughs> hey, let me, let me ask you this, though, Rod. How many DBs that played at Texas did Bobby Bowden do an in-home visit with? Oh, man. Not many. <laughs> Not many. Uh, you're right about that. And I was a, hey, I was 5'9", five, 5'8". Five, Bobby, Bobby, you know, you lose your, like, longer range of your corners. Uh, yeah, man, I, I thought about going to Florida State. I wanted to follow in Deion Sanders' footsteps. Uh, even when I came to Texas, the reason I wore 21, Tim Brewster knew I wanted to be Deion. I asked for number two, which is Deion's college number. And then Tim Brewster said, oh, you don't want to be number two. You want to be 21. Don't nobody know Dion is number two. They know him as 21. So I wear number 21 because of that. But I almost made it to Florida State, guys. Uh, and if I honestly went for RC Slocum telling telling Rod B that, hey man, if you want your parents to be able to go to most of your games, and I never thought about that as a 17-year-old. Right. And he, he he broke that down to me, said, Man, you gotta stay in state. You gotta stay in the state. He didn't even say go to AM. I'll give RC credit for that. He just said you gotta stay in the state. I think he assumed that I was going to go to AM because Texas hired this new hot shot, Mac Brown, and nobody was sure what he was going to do. He probably should have said, you need to come to AM and maybe things would be different. So the, thank God Mac Brown sat on my mama's couch and drank that sweet tea. Hey, long one, baby. Hey, <laughs> look, look, Rod, the Rod going, that group, and then Mac's second class, that Roy Williams, Sloan, 
BJ. Oh, yeah. That's when RC Slocum started calling Austin Sodom and Austin Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> he had no, he had nothing to fight back against Mac on, man. I don't think people knew what they were getting into when Mac got the Texas job. I'm with you. I think I, I think they uh, they underestimated Mac's closing ability. <laughs> yes. And then they found out after those first two classes. They found out after really the Chris Sims Corey Redding moves. They found out. I, I, Rod, I, you haven't heard this story. We, I know we got a lot of questions, but it's hilarious. I was talking to Albert Hardy's head coach after they were driving back from uh, an unofficial visit to uh, Texas. He's, he was like, hey, uh, I'm just letting you know Albert's going to commit to Texas. I said, okay. I said, did he say why? He said, I, he said, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> said, there you go. <laughs> That's my <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. know, but I'm committing. I'm committing. No, Mac had to listen. My, he had a closing line with me. He was walking out of my garage, and he had gotten done with the visit with Mama. Mama was pretty much sold because he told Mama he's gonna graduate. So that's all Mama wanted to hear. He'll graduate. I think Max said, "I guarantee it." He's like, "He's like, I guarantee he will graduate as long as I'm there as the coach." That's all Mama needed to hear. Uh, but then, he was, as he's walking out of the garage, it's almost like a movie. He turns to me, says, "You know, Rod." I can't win the national title without you. And he walks out. Just turned. That was the last line. He walked out. And I was like, damn. Can't win. Exactly. Yeah. He, he said he couldn't win. And I was thinking to myself, I'm the piece. I'm the missing piece. Oh, let's go, baby. Let's go. He probably told that to a lot of other guys, too. I imagine. It worked for me. It worked for me. All right, guys. Doug Dotson has a question. Rod, I'm interested to hear your take on this. He says, does anyone worry about the Big 12 referees this year more than almost anything else? Oh, okay. So I do have a take about this because, and I'm going to go look at some other calls because there was a conspiracy theory floating around about the amount of uh, holding calls uh, that the Texas uh, defensive line basically were able to generate uh, with opposing offensive lines. So how many times the opposing offensive line would actually be called for holding against Texas? And it actually, it only ended up being between Texas and Oklahoma. I think I counted five combined between Texas and Oklahoma. And, and I believe K-State actually led the big 12 in that category. So I'm not, I'm not on the grassy knoll. I'm just not conspiracy theory stuff here. Not at all. Uh, But if you are expecting to get, to get the benefit of the doubt from officials and referees, you probably won't get that. And by the way, Texas, if you want to jump on a conspiracy theory that Texas is getting shafted by the Big 12 refs, you were probably getting a lot of help from the Big 12 refs early on in Big 12, uh, your Big 12 tenure. So you can't have it both ways, you know, <laughs> where you get some help or you're getting the shaft. So that's how I figure. Like Mac Brown used to always say, players play, coaches coach, officials officiate. You can't worry about them. They don't, they got their own agenda. <laughs> and, my, my, and I've said before, I actually think the last year in the Big 12 is going to be so much worse for Texas in basketball. I think you can I think you can really get that shaft in basketball a lot easier than football, guys. I'm really watching for that the last season on the road in Big 12 basketball. Uh, but, uh, hey, bye. we have a couple of good Super Chat questions here. Yes, I'm about to get to one. This one from, uh, if I can find it, Justin Yarbrough. He says, on three released their freshman All-American list today with Anthony Hill making the list with not much surprise. But with Manny's rise, what will he have to do to make the list by the end of the season? Yeah, I would say Manny said Baxter both in that. I mean, you know, look, Jonathan Brooks is starting running back. I mean, but you have to have a really big season off the bench or take over as a starter at some point during the year and, you know, maybe end up on a 
honorable mention all Big 12 type of team. I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to or, you know, on the list for Big 12 freshman of the year. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think uh, Anthony Hill's seen as a guy who right now by a lot of uh, us in the sports uh, media industry, it's going to take over a starting spot uh, at some point this year. And it, since he came in in the spring and was so active in the spring game, had such a really good spring game, I think that's where that's kind of pushed for Anthony Hill's uh, coming from right now. I mean, look, none of them are in Kelvin Banks' position where you knew he was going to start literally 13 games as a freshman as long as he stayed healthy. <laughs> so everybody, all these other guys are going to maybe start the season as a starter in Anthony Hill's world, but maybe come off the bench for the first couple of games mm -hmm. and maybe take over a starting role headed in the Big 12 play. We'll see. Uh, by the way, I'm not forgetting about Jonte. Uh, UT boy, uh, uh, there's some, there's three NFL draft picks ahead of him. He's going to be a draft pick one day, but there's, there's a, a lot of NFL talent in front of him and around him, but that's going to, he's going to make some big plays. I think he's going to score a touchdown against Rice. Oh, I like that. Uh, I like that. Oh, Malik Muhammad, you said, uh, did you say that you think he's going to end up cracking the starting lineup too? I think he My has to man? get on one of those freshman all American okay. teams, but right? He, you think he will? I am. If he, if the first three games of the year, he causes a couple of turnovers and what's happened in the fall camp carries over to the game, I think it's going to be hard to keep him off the field if he's causing game momentum changing plays. That's a great, I, 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 I agree with you 100%. Because he, right now, he's trending and he's forcing the coaches yes. to, to consider him in that rotation. They're looking for ball hawks and he's he's got that naturally. And I watched his film. You encouraged me to go back and watch some of his film. Oh man, I, I love his. He is a technician. I, I knew you would love him now. Oh, but what I love about him is even he. Oh, sorry about that. I got too excited. <laughs> um, but what I love about watching the film with him, and it reminded me a little bit of myself. I'm not saying I'm Malik Muhammad at all. No, he's he's got way better raw materials than I had. But I remember as a young DB in high school, feeling so confident in my technique, and I was a, truly a technician. I studied the game. I studied I studied the technique of Deion Sanders and studied the technique of guys like Rod Woodson. And I would try to utilize and deploy those techniques in games. And my coach, Coach Saldivar, would let me do it. He had that much confidence. He would let me just go up there and play man-to-man, -man, use the Dion technique, use the jammer technique. Sometimes I'd bail. Sometimes I'd shuffle. I had that freedom, and it really empowered me as a player to become more of a technician, more of a student of the game. He, does that. he did that in high school. I don't, maybe they gave him that freedom, but he did that. He would go up and he, he would utilize like multiple different techniques in terms of his bump and run coverage. I love that about him. That shows me up here. He's a technician. He's studying the technique and which technique will work better with certain receivers and certain matchups and certain against certain formations and certain alignments. That right there, I got to tell you, I got giddy about that, man. I got giddy. There no you doubt. Go. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to take a couple of questions from the Inside Texas Forums. Uh, this first one is from Andy Nine. He says, Texas goes 10-3 and three with the Big 12 championship. Hypothetically, they play LSU in a New, York, uh, New Year's Six game. Quinn goes pro. Who starts, Malik or Arch? I'm already on record. <laughs> oh, you're already on the record? Oh, hold up. I no, so here's, my, here's my record. Uh, here's me on the record. When I walk into the co-op and I walk into the team shop, they're selling two jerseys. It's Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. <laughs> Damn. That's that's hardcore, <laughs> though, that is. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to lie. 
That is hardcore. You're right. And the Vegas odds also don't even consider Malik in it too. They'll just throw it out, Arch Manning out there. And, and, people, and, and people on the chat, oh, you're you're not giving Malik a chance. No, I'm uh, no. Competition's competition. I think Arch is going to be the next starting quarterback. I mean, I'm on record. I mean, that's that's where I'm at. If I'm wrong, y'all, all eight, nine hundred people on here, thousand, whatever we have, will come tell me I was wrong. <laughs> and well, if, if Arch is running 20 miles per hour, A.M. still making them throws. <laughs> the job is his. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I'll say this. I, I think, you know, for quarterback, I was I was here doing the Sims Apple White stuff, and I, I totally, you know, understand competition, how it can go off the rails too. I always say picking a quarterback is like picking a significant other. The woman you marry is not always the hottest woman you ever dated. She's the one that was most compatible with you. It's about compatibility with that offense. Um, both of these quarterbacks are compatible, but I will say in terms of an added element, it looks like Arch, and I didn't even know about the athleticism of Arch. That adds a new element to it. I know Malik is athletic, but I think we underestimated the athleticism of Arch Manning. So I think it'll be a good competition. Um, man, right now outside with Arch too, I think that's, he's trending in the right way and he's already ahead of schedule. So I'll say that hypothetical in the future. And if that's the case, Texas football is in a really good place. If Arch, if if Arch and and Malik are competing for that job because Quinn is getting drafted in the first round. All right, the next question from the Inside Texas forums, Jerry. It's from Native Texan, and he says, "When is Kobe Black's mom's birthday?" I'm guessing that's a reference to Corian Gibson and Jordan Johnson Rubel, who both committed on their mom's birthday. Um, oh. I, I, I've got I've got an answer to that I don't know, but let me find out. <laughs> wow. That's All a right, thing guys. now? That's mm-hmm. a thing now? Committing on your mom's birthday? Apparently. Yeah, okay. we're, we're pulling out We're pulling out new uh, ways to commit, new days to commit. I'm all for it. I'm sure mama loved it. Hey, by the way, so I'm not going to really respond, but uh, somebody said, based on jersey sales, you need a deeper analysis of that on Arch Manning. Look, man, that's my way of saying. Uh, I think Arch is going to be the quarterback. That's his hot take way of saying it. It's, it's all about the package and the presentation, y'all. There you go. <laughs> all right, we got some more Super Chats, guys. John Campbell says, love the answers, guys. I appreciate being able to learn something from y'all. I was hoping Rod would chime in, so thank you for your perspective. That was pretty John, you are the man. Bro. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you being part of the fam. And this next one from KD35, I am the best. He says, KJ Lacey, Friday night on ESPN. Jerry, besides Lacey and Ryan Williams, any other Sarah Land teammates of Lacey's that Texas also has their eyes on in future classes? Yeah, so Texas offered a 2025 defensive lineman on Sarah Land. Um, Oh, gosh, Antonio, maybe Antonio Robinson. He was visited Florida last weekend in July. He's a 2025 D lineman. 6'2", about 280, really athletic kid, very, very good understanding of leverage. And he actually gets vertical pretty good for a young kid. He creates a lot of disruption. Uh, so he's won the watch at Sarah Land in 2025. So Texas has three offers out in that class. Obviously, K.J. Lacey committed to Texas. Ryan Williams committed to Alabama, and, and he's special at wideout. I mean, Rod, wait until you watch his tape. This kid's special. Um, okay. He really, really is good. Um, he's one of the better guys I've seen in, in the last few years at wide receiver. Um, just really good with the ball, without the ball. Just re- another level explosive. I actually watched him. I was at a regional track meet in Mobile at South Alabama his spring of his freshman year. And I think he ran 10-7-1 into the wind. I was like, hmm, or 10-7-3 into the wind. I was like, hmm, 
you know, and I was like, he weighs about 155 pounds at the time. So Ryan Williams is a special guy. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great to watch KJ Lacey. Um, I can tell you that KJ is, after going to seven on seven, uh, really being around him, Sarah Land High a little bit this summer, he, he, the tape is impressive. He's got it upstairs too. He's a kid that studies film. He gets mm-hmm. what playing the position's all about. He's been working with David Morse at QB Country, uh, I believe, since he's about in fourth grade now. Um, same place that Manning's been working since he was in fourth grade. Uh, KJ Lace is very talented. Really good timing down the field. All right. Thank you, KD35. We appreciate the super chat. Colorado Longhorn says, how many touchdowns do we think Ewers throws this year? And how many sacks does Ford have? That's interesting. Uh, starting that with the with the latter sacks is for I don't, I don't know if they're going to use Jalen Fournette. They did use him as a pass rusher occasionally. Um, I wonder this year though if you know Anthony Hill takes over that overshone role where he's used on the edge situationally in in passing uh, situations where that that's predictable. So I, I don't know if Jalen Fournette's going to have really high sack numbers. I mean that's a guy who's also great in coverage too. Think about how stellar he was in coverage. Like he's one of the better coverage linebackers in the country. And I wonder if they figure he's more of an asset in coverage than he is actually rushing the passer. And now you do have another asset that can do that. So I don't know if Jalen Forrest's sack numbers will be high. Quinn U.S. touchdowns, that is a really interesting. I'm going to let Jerry kind of jump on that one. That's an interesting place to start because, uh, you know, we, we're hearing about the deep ball improving more. We're hearing about now being able to feature Xavier Worthy. Hell, Xavier Worthy is actually featured and doesn't have to be typecast into the deep. There you uh, go. Got the deep thread, Jerry. Hell, man, he's going to get 10. I'm just taking double-digit touchdowns from him alone. Yeah, I, so here's my question, Rod. We've talked about this a lot, but I'd like your perspective on it. So what is the – running clock on first downs do for when people are thinking about stats it's pretty obvious you're going to lose one offensive possession a game on average that just has to be the way it works out with the running clock on first downs so i really think we we get the stats questions a lot um and and i have a tough time with that because until we kind of see how this plays out if you lose a possession a game and some people are like well it could be three and out well yeah it could also be a touchdown pass or nine play or 12 play drive yeah so I think it's going to affect stats a little bit. My whole thing, and I got uh, – I totally agree with Bobby Burton, four touchdowns to one interception. That's the ratio I'm looking for this year. So if that number is, you know, 24 and six, I think it's a really good number. If it's 28 and seven, anything that's four to one, I think is, is the number I'm looking at more than how many touchdown passes. Just real quick, Bill Connolly, to that point you're making about the rule changes, um, he's claims in 2022 FBS games average about 38 first downs outside the last two minutes, which is now when they'll, uh, you know, stop the clock. The only time they'll stop it in each half. So 38 first downs in each half. And he's basically hypothesizing that if they estimate that these rule changes will result in an average of five extra seconds of clock running after each 30, each of those first downs, that means we're slicing about 3.2 minutes, he says, and about 5%. Uh, of a given game off there you go so you're right i mean that's definitely going to end up eating into some of your you know some of your possessions and obviously you know some of your your stats and productivity and keeping all your players happy in the day and age of the portal uh-huh <laughs> yeah. that's another tougher one for mm-hmm. coaches now. That's a you're losing point. you're losing a possession a game and you got to keep everybody happy great point okay, true. 
All right, Rod, you mentioned Xavier Worthy. This next question has to do with him. Justin Count says, if Worthy has the healthy season, do y'all think he will go down as a top three receiver in program history? Ooh, stats-wise, I got to go check. He's definitely prolific. Um, he did have a regression last season, but started out with a bang that freshman year, which was a record-setting freshman year. Who's the, let's, let's start with who's the GOAT receiver in Texas football history. For me, it's Jordan Shipley. Am I okay. am, Is it? Am I – you guys disagree? I don't know. Mate, for me, it's Jordan Shipley, and I think after that, you kind of started. Can he be top three? Yeah, depends on how prolific the season is. Well, you go, you went up against him every day. I think from a talent standpoint, Roy Williams. Oh, talent wise, yeah, but productivity wise, Ship, Ship was, was a monster, yeah. especially considering he ACL came back from it. Right? Yeah, but you're right. Uh, talent wise, Roy Williams. I don't know if Texas had a more athletically freakish receiver than Roy Williams. Right. Yeah. There you go. There's your leaders, Roy, Shipley, Mike Adams, obviously. Who all? Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, he might have a little. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's got a shot. I mean, he's got to have a big year though. We're talking about a monster year, and I just monster, wonder, year. monster year. And I wonder if now with JT Sanders and AD Mitchell, and you know, you got Jay Witt thrown in there. We know Sark's going. He's going. X going to give it to you. He knows he's going to force feed the football to X-Men. That's his guy. But I, I wonder now, man, it just seems so easy to spread that football around instead of force feeding it to X-Men, who you know every defensive coordinator is going to double roll coverage his way. Why would you let X-Men beat you when, you know, you're forced them to beat you with some other unproven commodity? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting with, with A.D. Mitchell this year, uh, every deeper wide receiver core, Jatavion Sanders back. How much more space to play does Xavier Worthy have? Uh, what's interesting to me, how many touchdowns does Worthy have in his first two years? I think he could challenge that record in Texas wide receiver history. That's the one I think he can challenge. I think he has 22 in two years. Does that sound right? right? It sounds about right, yeah. The 14, the Ty Roy? It's possible. It's true. Okay, guys, we got some more Super Chats rolling in. This next one is – Pretty good question. Poke Casino says, let's go hook them all day, every day. Week one is going to be a statement, and I just bought a rice cooker for it. Rod and Jerry, <laughs> give us two bold predictions on offense and two bold predictions on defense as a unit in week one. Mm. Y'all know I don't have a trouble trouble going bold, so I'll go first. I'll, I'll give Rod a chance to, uh, to go behind me and make more sense. Um, <laughs> then I will. <laughs> um I'll say um, this one's going to sound crazy. I'm going to go five rushing touchdowns against Rice. I think people Ooh. think it's going to be throwing the ball all over the lot against Rice. But I actually think Texas is going to run the ball pretty well in that game. I actually think especially when they get inside the red zone, I, I think Texas is going to want to lean on their offensive line. I think they're going to score five rushing touchdowns in that game. That That's a number I kind of like in that game. Uh, defense, I'm going to go with – Three interceptions. Mm, I like okay. that. Because we're going to find out if that Texas defensive line creates havoc. JT Daniels is a pocket guy. He's not going to escape the pocket. So if you can get him guessing, getting that ball out of his hand a little earlier than he wants to, I think that's good for the Texas DBs. I think they're going to have opportunities because they have advantages athletically against the Rice wideouts. I like that. That's good. Uh, all right. I'm going to go offense first. I, don't, I hope this is bold enough. How about they don't punt? No punt. 
That's a whole damn game. I'm a night. big punting guy. I want to see Sanborn get one, but that's a that's a good one. Remember, and I say I don't know how bold it is because I believe Sark has done that before. Remember, we yeah. had that against uh, 2021, I believe Casey Thompson. They had, I believe they had back to back games. I'm not mistaken, where they did not punt. You, you guys right. remember this early on in the season? Um, so I don't know how bold it is. Hopefully, that's bold enough for you. Uh, uh, but if uh, not defense wise, I'll kind of go where Jerry's going, but I'll go uh, you know kind of a, a different direction. Um, I'm gonna go five sacks in one That'd game. That'd be a big number. That'd five be a big sacks. number for Texas. There you go. They just, just they, they get up early and then Rice's got to throw the ball and they just start just re- making life hell for JT Daniels. There you go. Uh, you know, you know what I think the key is for Texas creating turnovers in that game, and I think it's Ron. I'd like your opinion. We talked about with well, this clock running on first downs. I don't think first down run defense has ever been more important than it is now with the rule change. Wow. It's a great point. You have to, if you can get guys behind the chains or you can get them at second and eight versus second and five where they can control that clock, first down run defense, I think, is utmost importance this season with this rule change. Yeah, and I wonder if you'll see uh, first down pass rates go up as a result. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of a shift. It's like, well, yeah, we, we don't want to take the chance of getting behind uh, the chains on this. First first down pass rates go up. Hey, at least that can be a high percentage pass extension of the running game. So I, that's a great point. And if I'm a, a, a football theorist, uh, that's what I champion myself as, I probably would try to go more first down, pa- early down pass rates. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right, guys, before we move on, I got to talk about Energy Texas again. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, Texans. They're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder to still be fighting for the little guy against big power. So go check them out at energytexas.com. And we want to thank them for sponsoring each and every Tuesday night right here on On Texas Football. Uh, we got some more super chats we got to get to real quick, fellas. This one from KD35. I'm the best again. Uh, he says Julian Lewis committed to USC today. Yay for Riley again, but sounding like Lewis could reclassify to 2025 with KJ Lacey. That being said, can you compare the two and could both end up as five stars as well? I think both could end up as five stars after seeing KJ Lacey in person. Some people may try to knock him from a ranking standpoint because he's six foot and a quarter, 175 right now. He's going to be he's going to be the same size Bryce Young. Six foot, 205 in that range, 200, 205 long term. He's got he carries more weight in his lower body than you think if you look at a picture from chest up. He kind of looks skinny, but that's just how much development he's got in front of him. I think both those guys can be five stars and if I'm Julian Lewis, I mean I think that's one of the reasons that he picked USC today. Dylan Rayola going to Georgia in 2024. If you're gonna if you're gonna reclassify to 2025, you're not gonna come in right behind Rayola when you do it. You're gonna go to a situation that looks like you can walk in and be a starter, compete for a starting role, even though you reclassed up. Uh, so I think that that commitment to USC makes a lot of sense for Julian Lewis. Um, but comparing the two, I mean, Julian Lewis is physically more advanced guy. He's got a really big downfield arm. I think both of them have really good minds for the quarterback position, though. I think they both play in the pocket really well for young quarterbacks. And to me, that's almost the key for these young guys is, you know, I think the highlight, the highlight real plays off schedule on the move are great on huddle. But I think the guys who have pocket presence and play well in the pocket 
and still play under duress, but with stay in the pocket and step up and climb in the pocket and make plays with their feet, staying in the pocket. I think those guys are really impressive at a young age, Rod. Yeah, and that's that's what Sark likes, right? Zone no first his quarterbacks to use their feet to keep plays alive so that they can get get you know, make plays downfield vertically in the passing game. He he always talks about we we don't we don't major in quarterback run game. They make minor in it. I think Sark prefers his quarterbacks use their legs to help him, you know, really uh, keep plays alive, extend plays for the sake of the passing game rather than trying to, you know, make something happen and improvise with your legs. Hey, and watching Quinn, let's get into that real quick. Uh, Blake. Yeah. yeah, go Where, ahead. Rod, we get this question all the time, and you're, from your perspective, where's Quinn, if he has a really good season, where's that improvement come from for you? Is it That's stepping good. up, playing in the pocket more, and still living off that back heel sometimes mm-hmm. when you're under duress? Is that it? What is it for you? Um, that's interesting because I, I think they are in second reaction plays, off schedule plays. Um, I because you know, we all know that you know, hey, maybe a 50% of football, something happens, wide receiver, you know, gets caught up, uh, gets jammed his line of scrimmage, gets rerouted, you know, lineman misses a block, uh, you know, maybe a missed assignment from someone else, whatever it may, or maybe just a great defensive coverage, defensive call, whatever it may be. Um, there are times where you need your quarterback operate off schedule second reaction plays whether it be within the structure of the offense all right whether it be you know with wide receivers adjusting scramble drill keeping plays alive extending plays i do want to see him um be a little bit more uh confident in his second reaction skills as an athlete his instincts as a football player um and i think he, he he's he's a little bit more I think open to it now that he's got familiarity with the system. Sark, by the way, does not like his quarterbacks operating off schedule. He has pretty much built the offense, construct the offense to operate on schedule on time. And that's why go back and look at his, his ideal offense, which was that Alabama offense um, when they won the national title, man, Mac Jones is always operating on schedule. Very little, uh, very little uh, examples, very few examples of him in that offense being, you know, improvising and being a second reaction player. You just didn't need to see it. That's ideally what Sark wants for all of his quarterbacks. So him operating off schedule is really something Sark's uncomfortable with. So I think that's why Quinn's uncomfortable with it. Remember when Sark first came in and didn't have all of these pieces, didn't have all of the hand-picked ingredients, Casey Thompson was, was scrambling all the damn time. <laughs> right because with the offense yeah. you have to operate off schedule a lot now Sark's thinking hey I got this offense it's it's not all the pieces are hand-picked it's exactly where it should be right now and he's not anticipating that but I'm a defender and I know they defenders want to cause chaos and when chaos happens I need him to be more comfortable as an agent of chaos there you go for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, Rod, this next question is for you. It's from King Me. He says, Rod, if you were on this year's team, which wide receiver would give you fits in practice? Yeah, it's probably, I'm thinking about all the guys now, X-Men, Jay Witt, um, hell, Jonte Cooks in there, A.D. Mitchell. It would probably be Xavier Worthy because the guys who were just as quick as they were fast always gave me some issues. You know, Jay Witt uses a lot of, uh, you know, kind of power in his game, right? He's a physical player. He wants to get physical. Even whether that be uh, the way that he separates from a defensive back or even after the ball's in his hands, I can handle that, all right? Uh, The speed element is always a threat for a defensive back, but you can give up the deep ball. So X-Man can threaten you with the speed, but he gets in and out of his breaks. His deceleration and acceleration are excellent. That's what I was going to ask you, Rod. So from, from your perspective as a corner, right? We talk about how smooth a DeAndre Moore is. He is extremely smooth route running. Are those some of those guys that have the subtlety about him? Are they tougher for you as a corner, being a technician, or is it the guys who are quick off the line, can really gear up and then gear down? What, what what's tougher for you as a corner? Without getting into who gives it away with their arms you know, coming out of cuts or getting in the cuts. Yeah, to me, it's the guy that can threaten you with vertical speed off the line. The guy that has that burst with that initial release off the line of scrimmage, that 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 makes your heart skip a beat. I yeah. mean, you, you get kind of freaked out as a defensive back because you start thinking, I got to get out of my stance. I got to turn these hips and I got to get ready to go. And all a receiver wants to do is get you to turn your hips. All right, get you to turn your hips and commit to defending that vertical route, and that's when they can break you down. And for X-Man, you know he can threaten you vertical, but what I love about him is he's such a savvy route runner because he knows he has great deceleration. People talk about acceleration, and that is important, but, man, some guys can decelerate. They can go from 60 down to zero like that, and that's what X-Man can do really well. So I have no problem with the savvy route runners. I love those guys. All right. They thought because they were, you know, they were cerebral and they were uh, technicians and that they paid attention to all the details of route running that they could, you know, find a way to get separation against Rod B. And that usually didn't happen. The guys who got separation against Rod B, I'm re- I can readily admit it now as an older man, were the guys who had speed, the speed, man. That's why Sark's obsessed with it. Sark knows no matter how good a defensive back is, man, if you got speed going against that DB, that DB is a he, he lives in fear, just a little bit of fear that I'll always give up that deep play to this guy, and that can really change your mindset. And it really has you playing from a a a, a, a you know a non aggressive mindset. You're playing yeah. on your heels rather. Hey Blake, I want to answer one question. You have to yeah. pull it up. Somebody asked if I'm in Lafayette. In Lafayette, yes, I am. I've been all, pretty much all day. Hit hit Acadiana High and uh, Lafayette Christian Academy. All right, guys, the question uh, just a second ago, I'm going to follow it up with this one from Chris Roberts. Who will be the best wide receiver on the team this year? That's easy. It's going to be – it's Xavier Worthy. I mean, it's, it's no doubt. That's Sark's guy. Jerry, you agree? Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think I think Z- X is going to have a great year for sure, um, and I think he has the most versatility within the offense. Um, I'm interested to see – just how good A.D. Mitchell is in this Sarkeesian offense. We didn't really get the chance to see it at Georgia. 
uh, because he's had that bad ankle sprain, missed nine games last year after having 430 yards receiving his freshman year. Um, I, I think the best may be Xavier Worthy. I think the big play guy may be A.D. Mitchell, if that makes sense. Does, does that does make sense. sense. Yeah. Because Sark needs a deep threat. He needs yeah. a vertical threat in the offense. They didn't have that last year with Isaiah Nayor, and that's why you saw X-Men typecast pigeonholed into that role. That was partly the reason for the regression, that and other stuff. Now you got multiple guys that can provide that deep threat element, and you can feature Xavier Worthy in so many different ways now. So, I, yeah, I think he's going to have a big bounce back here. And Sark wants to start developing that NFL pipeline of receivers. That's right. High-end receivers, right? He already started with Devontae Smith, and now he wants to continue it. So guys like Jontae Cook, they'll continue to come to Texas because they know he's going to produce high-level draft picks at that position. Okay, we got a super chat here from William Neesh. He says, looks like Milrow may win the starting job for Bama. How would you defend against Alabama with Milrow as their starter? Mm. Uh, he does. I mean, obviously, you got to address the dual threat element. That's right. That's the biggest issue with Jalen Milrow. I, I did see him give up the football, though. He will put the football on the ground. Uh, but I'm sure as a, you know, a now much more mature player that maybe they've addressed his carelessness with the football. But uh, that's something with Texas emphasizing taking the football away. That's something definitely that you want to look at in that matchup. But, yeah, Texas versus the dual threat quarterbacks. I got to go back and kind of study it. But it hasn't been that concerning, um, the dual threat element um, against Texas, at least last year. Uh, But he's a different type of athlete, as you know, Jerry. Yeah, no doubt. Here's a question I have, Rob. We've been talking about this. Texas wants to play a little more man this year, right? They want to play a little more man press, right? But in order to do that successfully, your front has to be disciplined in their lane integrity, right? I mean, let's be real. So it's kind of two-part, especially with a dual-threat quarterback. If you want to be aggressive and play more man, then you have to be really disciplined in your assignment football in that front seven, would you say I'm right? Would you put a spy on uh, get into a game plan? But how important is that discipline for Texas this year if they're going to play more man in their rush lines? I mean, Sark has talked about it in, even in the scrimmage, right? That's when we get the 20 miles per hour number from uh, Arch Manning was that they were playing man to man. That means guys have their back turned. They weren't disciplined in their pass rushing lanes. And then Arch was able to get loose. Um, so that's you're right. That's a good, so maybe you could use 007. You can put a spy out there. You got you got athletes um, that should be able to at least you know be serviceable as a spy, even against a, an athlete like Jalen Muro. And you know I think you could play you know more coverages where you know you're, you you have the guys playing off coverage, whether it be match quarters, have the guys playing off where they can see the football, they can see the quarterback, and maybe they can play some off man just so they can have eyes on the quarterback a little bit more too. So I think game plan wise, you can switch it up. There's no doubt. All all of the the emphasis with the game plan will be on trying to neutralize the dual threat element of Jalen Monroe because that could beat you, man. We know that that's a wild card that no no defensive coordinator can really quantify a game plan for. Uh, Felipe Velasquez says, "I heard Rod say teams with counter slash power run teams can give the give the horns problems. Does any team have a wide receiver group that can give our back end any problems?" Um, I don't know if I was saying it would give a give Texas problems. I was saying that it is the it's it's the counter now to the zone blocking running scheme that has become 
uh, really, really popular at, at every level of football, college and pro. And now you're seeing defenses that are constructed to defend the zone blocking running schemes. So they're built in and constructed in a certain way, whether you're talking about the, the players themselves, the personnel, sleeker, whether it be you know more streamlined, smaller, more hybrid defenders, uh, and also the game plans themselves, which are built to stop the, the passing game and built to kind of stop the, the, the stress and the stretching, if you will, of the defense from sideline to sideline. And what the offenses have done now, because the defenses have adjusted, is they've gone to more power run game, gap running game, running right at you, running downhill. And you're seeing that in the Big 12 now, right? The Big 12 is a running league cross-dressing as a passing league and pk made that miscalculation in year one and now in year two he figured it out oh no this is actually a running league they want to run the ball downhill on you so i think texas made that a necessarily adjustment and you better have really good d tackles when you do it so that's what i was, it's not a, i don't think it's an issue for the longhorns that's not how you necessarily have to attack them or anything like that i was just pointing out that's one of the um the adjustments called the um adaptations if you will that happens in defenses and offenses and the evolution of the game that kind of well let's stay on that theme for a second rod i'm gonna let you answer the first part of this question jerry the second part mike welp says what is the strength of pk scheme and how does this help us in recruiting the strength of it right now the strength of his scheme meaning the like the construction of it construction the construction the system the system itself The system, it, from what I've studied, the system itself. First of all, it's a it's a malleable system, which is really good. So you can help, you can solve problems. You don't want your system to be too rigid, uh, and that way, it's it's easy for defenses to expose it and exploit it because you're not malleable enough to be able to offer solutions. So it is a defense that you can move some different things around. Um, and when I studied it at Washington, what I found is that he loves to win the numbers advantage initially at the point of attack, and he does that with those big bodies, those interior big D tackles. And you go study all of his defenses, he's going to start there with with winning the numbers advantage. Football at its most rudimentary level, just a numbers game. So if you have to double team, if that, that, that rocket Gibraltar or those interior D linemen demand a double team, or they got to have three guys to block your two, that's kind of how he starts. The, the the defensive system that's how he starts building it is from there because he wins the numbers advantage initially and then he can and now take that numbers advantage that extra man that he gained and use that guy deploy that player in different situations where needed right where you may have a weakness or a liability within defense maybe it's a matchup thing based up that that week um they got a really good player in the passing game whatever it may be so he he uses his um the, he uses the, the the advantage that he gains uh, in the numbers advantage with the with the defensive line to, to tr- strategically try to take things away from the offense. So here's what I think uh, how the scheme helps in recruiting. Maybe not the scheme as much as Chet Brooks was an NFL safety that played at AM and he checked off on Terrence Brooks going to Texas. In this class, Santana Wilson, a corner, which Rod did a great job breaking him down on, on Texas football, uh, we put that video up. Um, his dad, Adrian Wilson, was a very successful NFL safety uh, that's now NFL executive. He checked off o- on Texas. So when NFL guys who have played at the highest level are checking off on Texas uh, and sending their sons to Texas, that says a lot. If they had issues with the scheme, 
being guys that played at the highest level, Rod, they wouldn't be sending their kids to Texas. That's the simplest way I can put it in recruiting terms, right? You look for it's almost like it's almost like when like Arch gave the Mannings gave Sarkeesian a stamp of approval. Chet Brooks, Adrian Wilson, while they may not have the name of the Mannings, those guys played pro football. They played at the highest level. When those guys are giving you a stamp of approval, that's what's big in recruiting. That's what's big when a San, when Adrian Wilson says, look, I, I love that my son's going to play for Sark and PK, and here are the reasons why. When he tells that to other parents, when Chet Brooks tells that to other parents, that's the big stuff in recruiting for me. Yeah. Okay, guys, one more time I got to talk about Energy Texas. Energy Texas is here to help Texans take their energy savings by the horns. With their Freedom Flex plan for $4.95 a month, you can switch plans every 30 days without penalty. You can enjoy Texas-sized rewards and excellent customer service that you can hang your hat on. They serve Texans without the bull. Check them out online at energytexas.com. See if they can help you today. And we like to thank them one more time for sponsoring the Tuesday Night Live stream. Hey, I, there a, a lady Betty Smith kind of she said something about the hotel. Man, I totally messed up sitting in the wrong place with lighting. I apologize. This is <laughs> this is not on. This is not on the. This is not on the Marriott and Lafayette. This is on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, we got some super chats to get to again, guys. Jake Faust. This is a two-parter here. He says, "Rod, great to have you on the stream. From the horn to the blitz to everything in between, I've been a fan of your work for years. Great to have you with on Texas football and inside Texas." Thank you, Jake. I appreciate the kind words, brother. Trying to work hard, get the message out there, man. <laughs> And then Menu 2 Sports want to thank him. He says, ain't going to lie. I know we talked about this earlier, guys. But he says, I'm concerned Zebras will swallow that holding whistle on our defensive linemen. That it's not hard to get away with. They did it all last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we went over the stats. They did not call a lot of uh, holding calls um, on the opposing offensive line. Oh, sorry, the, the opposing offensive line did not have a lot of holding calls called on them. And that may have affected the sack numbers for the Texas defensive line, too. Um, a lot of people believe that may be the reason the sack numbers were so low. They only had 27 sacks. I wouldn't jump out on the grassy knoll and don't be a conspiracy theorist just yet. You could. Um, that's a miserable way, all right, to, to, to be a fan uh, is to always think the referees are out to get you. So if I'm alone with them, and I think Sark and the coaches understand this, too, they have to. They, they know all this. They watch the film. I'm sure they sit complaints to the league and they talk to players about the officials and all of that stuff. So I think for, for Sark and for the, uh, for the Texas team, the best thing you can do is leave no doubt. Don't let it be a close game that could be decided by the officials because if it is, you know, you may not get the benefit of the doubt. It's just that simple. Look, until we see Tavondre Sweat get called for defensive holding, and Steve Sarkeesian bumped out of bounds by a ref and then the flag's thrown <laughs> on him. I, I, I'm going to hold up a little bit. Oklahoma State was pretty bad last year. Hey, by the way, I think it's Todd Tumpl I can't pronounce his name. There you go. Thank I think this was – and I, obviously I've always looked better in the dark. Any woman I've ever dated would agree. But I'll just do this. I think this was his way of getting me to answer his question. Three and a half, five stars, uh, the over-under in this class – I lean the under because, man, it's really hard to not to hit 80% on five stars. It really is. So I lean to three in this class right now. <laughs> but I definitely look better in the dark. Oh, oh man. That's great. 
All right, Rod, this one's for you from John Campbell. Thank you, John. He says, I've asked Jerry and Bobby this question and love their answers. From the perspective of a former player, what are some of the craziest recruiting stories you've experienced or heard about? Oh, man, honestly. I I, I really don't have a bunch of crazy recruiting stories. I was always surprised when I hear people talk about, you know, the bag man. I must not have been a good player. I'll tell you right now. I didn't get no hundred dollar handshakes. I'm no bag man. Like now looking back on it, I, I wasn't that good. I couldn't have been because I didn't get any perks. Nobody wanted to drop me off some money and none, none of that. I got none of that stuff. So I really got nothing. I, I really, you know, I, I would tell you, you know, I would tell you, I got none of that. Hey, Even Rod. Hey, now, Rod. Now, Rod. I didn't. Hey, Rod. Now you said you struggled with hands. Any chance you dropped them? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I to ask. Some things I don't drop, man. Some things I don't drop, right? Not that. <laughs> Even though Coach Akina did tell me I dropped a lot of money on the field, which is true. Hey, I, I want a question for Rod real quick because we've been talking about how hot it's going to be for the Rice game, right? I think it's oh, yeah. actually worse for the fans and the players. The players are in really good condition. Somebody asked about that. I think the players are in fabulous condition this year. Yeah, I think Steph Steph done a great job. As a player, in that heat, shoulder pads, helmet on. I don't know if you ever played in the heat we're talking about uh, September 2nd, but as a player, your perspective on that, because you're the only one that can answer the question, let's be real. Yeah, I think if you were born in the state of Texas <laughs> and played your high school football in Texas – I don't know if it's that big a deal to you. It's like playing in, if you're, you know, born on the East Coast and playing in cold weather, like it's not a big deal because you just, you you were programmed to do it. I mean, I, I, I actually, you know, still, I'm an old man, I guess now. I grew up, we still had actual two-a-days. We would practice right. in pads twice a day in the heat. They, they didn't move into the morning. <laughs> and move it to the after. Oh, hey, we're gonna move y'all practice to the evening, and you'll get you up at five in the morning so you can stay out of heat. No, no, they wanted you in the heat, yeah. they purposefully would put you out there in the heat to practice. That was the point of it. So I'm not I'm not saying that these guys are soft or anything. No, they're just smart. We weren't that smart, but so heat didn't really matter to us, man. We we worked out in that stuff all the time. I mean, I worked out in dude to this day. I run in long sleeves and pants when I run in the heat. I, I'm used to it now. If you're a Texan. You know, that's just part of it as a football player. Now, the, now these days, it's different. They take precautions. I, I was talking to uh, my wife about her cousins who are practicing. They're practicing at 5 or something in the morning that's right. uh, for their school because they're just smarter about it. Dude, they, I never did that. I never did it in high school. We never did it in college, really. Mac Brown had us out there in the heat. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's where it's changed. Like, Acadiana <laughs> today, Lafayette Christian Academy, nowadays in the States, they have the regulations, right? They have the temperatures. If it's over this degree, and I don't know what it is, it depends on where you're at a lot of times. But if it if it hits this number, you're off the field. I, I mean, that's where it's changed, right? So that's especially this heat wave with no rain, this drought. These schools are practicing in the morning, and then sometimes they go through school and they're coming back like at seven at night to get the last hour into practice because. It's not because that's what they want to do, but that's what they have to do per the rules, uh, oh, yeah. the heat restrictions. No, I agree. I, it's, smart. Yeah. it's smart. I'm saying I, we yeah. were not a smart generation of football players and coaches. We were out there in the heat, in that's the right. pads. And like I said, that's why it never it never really dawned on me that, hey, man, you, you actually could endanger a heat stroke out here or something like that because 
it was something that I was kind of born into and bred and programmed to deal with. Yep, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do some recruiting questions real quick, Jerry. E. Kim says, for 2025, any Central Texas prospects that are possibilities for a Texas offer? Ooh, um, I need to think about that one for a second. That was a that was an unexpected one. Let me think about that one. You want um, me to come back to that one? Yeah, come back to that one. I'm going to look that up real quick. All right. I have on my mind today, but I'm going to find your answer, Kim. <laughs> Can you give us an update on Devin Sanchez? Uh, Devin Sanchez, uh, I'm probably going to go by there tomorrow. Um, I think Texas, Ohio State, Texas A&M, LSU, all your Alabama, all your players, uh, your regular players, uh, they're all in it. Somebody asked, is Ohio State the leader? I need to do a little more digging on that with Devin Sanchez. I think Alabama is going to be right there for him. I think the in-state schools, look, Early on, all these recruitments, it's fun to think about 1,200, 1,500 miles away. But as everybody knows, once this thing gets more condensed and gets closer, then that miles, those miles from home for families, they change, right? Yeah. Uh, but let's, uh, I'll, I'll have a better answer on Devin Sanchez. Um, I'm going to go by there this week. Um, so we, we, we shall see on that. But I think, look, expect Texas A&M, Texas to be right there with Ohio State, Bama, USC, LSU, and those type of teams. I'm looking in Syntex. Adrian Wilson, wide receiver from Wise. Texas didn't offer him. He's committed to Oregon. I, I think it may be Houston area is going where the strength is in 2025. I mentioned this. It's been Dallas for recent years. And not that Dallas is down. Okay, there's also, you know, Ty Hawkins, the quarterback, obviously committed to TCU. Texas has their quarterback. There's an athlete named Michael Terry at Alamo Heights in San Antonio who's interesting to me. 6'3", 210. Plays quarterback in high school. Really good athlete. I believe he was on campus in June. We'll have to see how much how hard Texas pushes for him. That may be one from an athlete standpoint. That, that's probably a top guy right now uh, that I'm looking at in Central Texas. Um, but we'll see who pops up this season. Uh, there's a receiver at Civil O'Steel, which Texas has not offered. So we'll, we'll see who pops up. Now, that's one thing important to note for all the Texas fans. The evaluation period starts Thursday night. High school seasons in Texas starts Thursday night. The coaches will start getting on the road in September, but that's when this film starts being broken down. That's when Texas is going to look at this, the guys in-house in the recruiting office, see who looks good early in the season. Maybe try to tell whose bodies have changed. Maybe make some calls to high school coaches after watching huddle tapes. Uh, but the evaluation process in 2025, the Devin Sanchez's, those are easy. But the rest of this class, the guys Texas is really going to go in on, we're going to see that develop here in the first five, six weeks of the season. All right, Tom, Tom Plate, you know, the one that told you you look better in the dark. He said the right. question that he really wanted to answer was if you're aware of any recruits that have committed elsewhere that you would give Texas a 75% chance or more of flipping our way. Um, and it's Tom Plate. Thank you. Um 75 <laughs> percent chance that's pretty high right now for me um I, I think there's a couple of guys that uh texas may have a 40 60 50 50 chance at, uh, at flipping and we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see on that what kind of transpires one of the popular ones is Corey gibson i have not heard anything on that obviously that would take a while to play out if texas was gonna uh have a shot to flip Corey gibson what i can tell you is like wardell matt coming in for the rice game Texas is going to stand their top targets. They're not going to walk away from these guys. Anybody that's been following Sark since he's been at Texas, they didn't walk away from Kelvin Banks, Cam Williams, 
some of those guys when they committed to Oregon that first year, they're going to stay on their A guys. They're going to stay on their A list, the Rod Babers list. They're going to stay on those A guys, right, and recruit through the whistle till December on those guys because the Blue Bloods have an advantage. If you swing and miss on an A at a position, you can go into the portal and get somebody. Uh, Rick A says, has Baker set a commitment date? Uh, Brandon Baker has not set a commitment date that I'm aware of, unless something came out when I was on the road today, but I haven't seen it. He's scheduled to visit uh, Nebraska September 16th. The Oregon side, I spoke to somebody on the Oregon side of the Brandon Baker recruitment. They think it's actually going to go into October. We'll see. Um, he's Texas is trying to get him in that Kansas weekend, September 30th. We'll see if that happens. Um, the interesting thing about that is the Oregon schedule and the modern day schedule don't really work out for Brandon to get back to Oregon. A couple of their home games, modern days out of state on the road. So they have to fly back. He'd have to turn around and fly to Oregon. We'll see what happens there. I know Oregon's fighting to get him back on campus before he makes a decision, but I still think Texas, Oregon, Ohio State, top three, Nebraska's trying. But I think Texas is a pretty good spot. And then real quick, Jerry, we're going to pivot over to basketball recruiting. Mike Thompson says this isn't football related, but what's the word on Trey Johnson visiting Texas? Do we have the lead? I'm glad Mike uh, brought that up. Great. That's huge news for Rodney Terry. Number four prospect in the country. Number one shooting guard in the country. He's out of Richardson Lake Highlands. He's now at Link Prep Academy. Um, look, I keep hearing Texas Baylor on the college side. He's scheduled to visit Alabama. Uh, September 15th through 17th. Kentucky's already made an official. I think those are really your four teams. Arkansas, maybe a fifth there. Kansas, he already officially visited, but I'm not hearing Kansas. The question is, whether he picks Texas or Baylor, is he going to turn down the G League? Now, he's got Lyft as his NIL representation. He is going to make, he is going to do very well in, in NIL space on his own. So is he one of those guys that decides to go to college for a year because his dad's a high school coach and they see that better for his development? We'll see how it plays out. I'm always leery of anybody ranked that high that they're actually going to go to college uh, because the G League route is such a good opportunity for a select few guys. We'll see what happens. I think Texas has a legitimate shot, and I'm not saying they're going to beat out Baylor. They have a legitimate shot. This will be a second official visit to Texas. You can take one as a junior, one as a senior in basketball recruiting. Texas is the first school he's taken two officials to. I, I think, and for the people that don't know, the connection with Trey Johnson and, and Rodney Terry, his father played for Rodney when Rodney was an assistant at Baylor, when Rodney first started as a college coach. So they've had a two-decade-long relationship here. So a lot of Texas fans are wondering, why would you get in this recruitment if he could go pro on you? I think this is a different one because RT – and Trey's dad are so close. I think Texas has going to have a very good idea what the family's thinking as this gets closer. Okay, guys, we've got one more super chat here. This one from Damon Graham. He says, can't y'all see Sanders having a monster year because of more space and a potential safety net for Quinn? Right up Rod's alley. I think so, yes. Yeah, I, um, I do. I think he could end up having – you know, like a record-breaking year for tight ends here at the University of Texas. When you think about it, he's had, right, last season he had 54 receptions, most by a tight end in a single season in program history, 613 yards. That was second all-time. Uh, the five touchdowns, I mean, that was third all-time. You know, man, the most receiving yards in a single season is 637 for a tight end. Uh, most receiving yards um, in a career is 1,367. 
He's basically one more good year away from that. There, there are about three or four records for the tight end position, guys, that he is that within reach for JT Sanders, one more big year away. And Sark says the tight end position is the second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. He said that. And I've done some research. I don't think Sark has had a, a, a tight end as talented as JT Sanders um, in terms of just the physical gifts. Um, and, and that includes his time, you know, at USC and um, probably outside the NFL. I don't know if he's had a tight end like this. So we'll see if this year he weaponizes him in a different way. One little cool stat about JT Sanders, no player, no skilled player in the power five moves around and shifts around as much as JT Sanders. And when you probably start recalling it, it makes sense. Sark is always trying to hide him, trying to scheme him open. He can put him in the backfield. He can be a flex. He can be in a slot. He can be an H-back. Uh, he can, you know, put out wide. He can do a lot of different things. So I'm with you. I think this year it could be a big year for JT Sanders. The tight end position, the five-tool tight end, has been an endangered species on the 40 acres for a long time. And JT Sanders is the first one that Texas has been able to have that they can call kind of a five-tool guy that can do it all since, what, David Thomas, Bo yeah. State, that group? Yeah. I think the one something interesting to watch for with uh, JT Sanders this year, maybe a few less catches, but more yards. That's when I think Texas offense would be maximizing. If that means the ball's being distributed around and he could be at a bit, even a bigger weapon for Texas, but may not have as many receptions, but may have more yards. I think that would be when Texas is really maximizing everything uh, that Steve Sarkeesian has this year. That's a great point. Jerry, I hope you brought your sunglasses to the hotel room. Clifton <laughs> Hines says, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I knew that he was ready. Question. He was ready. I thought Alfred Collins was third or fourth in defensive lineman rotation competing against Trill. But Sark's last presser sounds like AC is ahead of Devondre Sweat. Do you agree? You know, I, I'm not sure Sark meant that. He said solidified his position. And I think the, one of the things with Alfred Collins is, you know, they just wanted to see more consistency from him. I think you know what you're going to get from Sweat and Murphy. Um, I, but I will say this. I, I think, you know, I talked to Nathan O'Neill, one of the best D-line trainers in the world uh, last night, and, and he's worked with Alfred. He said what Alfred's doing right now, Rod, and I know this will be, have a lot of meaning for you, He's getting vertical quicker oh, instead yeah. of stopping his feet. Mm -hmm. And if a guy that's 6'5", 317 with 35 and a half inch arms and quickness is getting vertical quicker, he turns into a totally different animal as a defensive lineman. Yeah. You're talking about a disruptive force. Yeah. Penetrating. Uh, if he's not penetrating, he should be resetting the line of scrimmage. He should be doing one of two things with a body and a frame like that, either resetting the line of scrimmage, like basically moving another human being against their will, or like you said, with the BGO and his fun, his fundamentals and technique, he's able to penetrate and, and become a disruptor in that backfield, whether it's a run play or a pass play. And if he's doing both those things, and I don't think he was doing that consistently in his right. first few years. If he's doing one of those things on every play, that's the consistency you're looking for. And if he does that, ooh. There, there may be no limit, honestly, to this for this defensive line. If he, if that guy is playing at a at an NFL caliber, draftable no level, no doubt. Uh, by the way, Britt Rasco, poor Auburn, can't get any love from the panel. Hey, I think I think we think Bert's a consistent guy. 
can have a good year, year two. He's being pushed as the long field goal kicker by Will Stone, who's much stronger leg in year two. Uh, but I think Auburn's going to be consistent kicker for Texas in year two. Okay, guys, we got time for a few more questions. Uh, Rod, this one from Megan Wang says, have you had the chance to go watch some recent Texas practices? I have not. Practice schedules kind of wild. And I, I started a, a new gig uh, in the morning show. So I, I'm still getting situated, but I'm going to try to make it out to some practices when the schedule uh, aligns with it. So I promise I'm going to try to get that done too. I do want to get some eyes on these guys. And I've been hearing good things, all the guys that go out to practice. I mean, I get a chance to talk to some of the ex-players who've been out there and they keep saying that it, it reminds them of their time uh, on the 40 acres in terms of just the culture, the guys like being around each other, that it's just a kind of a the positive environment, um, the the comfort they, they have around one another too. Um, so the guys t- tell me that the culture right now is something that's palpable. Like as soon as you get there, you're around that team, you feel the culture um, that Sark is building. So that's a good thing. Okay, guys, we talked about the wide receivers earlier, but we got another question. John Sorrell says, what former Longhorn is A.D. Mitchell most like? At 6'4", I'm assuming Johnson or Roy Williams, Colin Johnson or Roy Williams. Is that accurate or is it someone else? No. So here's the – I think A.D.'s probably closer to 6'3". Colin Johnson was 6'6", wasn't 40 fast, but had great ball skills and length, right? Roy Williams is a total freak show athletically. I mean, I, yeah. there's not going to be another Roy Williams. I, there hasn't been another Casey Hampton at D-line at Texas. There hasn't been another Derek Johns. There's certain players we're not going to see um, a, a, again, or if you see two or three in your lifetime at a position, you're really lucky. Um, I'm trying to think, A.D. Mitchell, who I would compare. I'm not sure there's a, been a receiver at Texas I would compare him to. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't necessarily have a comparison either. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know on that. What where he is so good, Rod, to me watching the open media window practices, he's got great body control for a big guy. And it's not just body control. He's got after he adjusts to a ball, he's got great balance when his feet hit the ground again mm-hmm. and the ability to accelerate. That is one thing I've noticed with him that I think may carry over to the field and make big plays this year. He can adjust to the ball. He's balanced athlete, and then he goes pop. He's got a little pop once he hits the ground again. Yeah, and that's why his catch radius, uh, it's, it, it, it seems pretty expansive. Uh, yeah. They can get to a lot of footballs because you're right. It seems that he can kind of contort his body <laughs> when the ball is close, and he can make plays on the ball. We saw it even in the spring game. I'll just say a few, you know, a few plays uh, that he had in the spring game. He's one of those types of athletes. I'm with you. I, I don't know if I have a comparison for him. He's probably a mix of a couple of players um, because with that size, I'm with you. I actually think he's got a little burst um, for a guy with that size, but I cannot wait to watch him in one-on-one coverage. From what I'm hearing, he's beating man-to-man consistently. That's what you want from your receivers. If they can beat one-on-one consistently, that's going to make them a problem, and he's going to be a problem next season. Um, I, I, said, I, I haven't seen a wide receiving core this deep. When was the last time Texas had a wide receiving room this deep, guys? Bobby said he hasn't seen one. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a while, man. I mean, maybe when I played, we had three five stars in there. Yeah. Roy, yeah. DJ and Sloan. Who was the number four? Tony Jeffrey. Tony was Jeffrey four? was our number four. Yeah. He's, a lot of this one will be Jonte's world. Uh, Deandre Moore, 
Isaiah and Noah are back healthy. If those three guys show up, then the, Texas hadn't had this type of depth at wide out. And I, I think that, like last half of this season, I, I may not be comparable as far as depth goes. I, honestly, I, I'd have to agree with you because, yeah, the second – our front-line guys back then were really? you know NFL-caliber guys, high-level guys, but I don't know if we had depth at wide receiver like these guys have. You got – your depth right now is – you got guys who are considered NFL players right now who are going to be your backup wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, we got time for one more question. This one from Hookem from OKC. How would y'all attack Texas on offense <laughs> and defense? Oh, this is actually pretty good. I, I won't spend too much time on this. I can go deep on this. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I like to reverse engineer a lot of stuff, so I just watch and kind of reverse engineer. Texas offense, it's, it's pretty simple how you attack the Texas offense. I say simple. All right, it ain't simple because Sark's a brilliant, you know, play caller and play designer, and they got tons of talent. But I think the concepts that have worked against the Texas um, offense that have been effective, I do believe they are, you know, they're there. I think there's a pattern that has developed a trend, and the three high three down defense, yeah, I believe is a schematic kryptonite for Steve Sarkeesian. You go look at the teams that major or minor in the three high, his offenses. Uh, average close to nine fewer points per game um, compared to his, you know, season averages. And if you compare the three high three down uh, defenses and the offensive output and productivity versus those defenses, juxtaposed to the more traditional two high and single high sets, we're talking about close to a two touchdown difference, gentlemen. Now, there ain't no doubt if you face the Texas offense and face Steve Sarkeesian, you run a run at three high three down. Now, uh, there are different reasons for that. We won't go deep into that, but that's that's one part of it. Number two, you want to run um, what they call amoeba fronts, ghost fronts, which are defensive front. No Think doubt. about Baylor last season. They had five sacks against Texas. I believe four of those five sacks, they're running what they call amoeba fronts. Now, it's basically seven or eight guys all lined up across the line of scrimmage, some in two-point stands, some in three-point stands, and you're doing uh, you're executing simulated pressures, which is four guys coming. But you don't know which of those four guys of the seven are coming and which of three are dropping. And sometimes they might send three and drop four, uh, which is going to distort your blocking scheme. And when the quarterback sets the pass protection, he may be inaccurate about that. And that's why Quinn Ewers was sacked five times versus Baylor, because Dave Aranda used a lot of those amoeba fronts, which confuse the blocking schemes of a young offensive line and a young quarterback. But I'll say this. I heard Quinn Ewers say this offseason that he actually – finds more satisfaction from setting the pass protection correctly than he does from throwing the touchdown pass. And I thought to myself, yes, yes, dear Lord, that is a young quarterback maturing. So those are two things that I would throw out there immediately that you could deploy versus the Texas offense that I think would give you, or at least that we, that's been proven to have some, you know, some patterns and some trends of success versus Texas. Jerry. I, I don't know what to add other than that, man. I mean, that, that, that pretty much covered it for me. Um, and, and that's – I look, I think the biggest thing for Texas offensively this year, I think this is an offensive line year for Texas. I think the parts are there at skill position and a quarterback's a year older. Um, I think teams are going to want – if Texas runs more 11 personnel – Offensive line and pass pro is going to be the differentiator this year. How well does Texas hold up in pass pro this year is going to be a real differentiator for Texas. If Texas is a strong pass protection unit, 
especially when they're playing a rotation, I think they're going to have a hell of a year offensively. Because Alabama, it's an offensive line game against Bama. To, to add to that, Jerry, because I went and looked at all the sacks Texas gave up in, in, in 2022. They gave up 19, they allowed 19 sacks, which is not a bad number at that's all. That's not a bad number. That's not a bad number at all. But against Alabama uh, and against Baylor, um, I believe of the seven sacks, it's either seven or eight sacks they allowed against uh, Alabama and Baylor combined. Um, I believe six of those are simulated pressures and or amoeba fronts. So there's no doubt that last game of the season, that Dave Aranda game plan, which worked really well, applying pressure to Texas, uh, Nick Saban, and was it Kevin Steele, the new D.C.? I guarantee you, I'll put money on it right now. You're going to see those amoeba fronts, those ghost fronts, and simulated pressures. I put money on it right now. It just makes too much sense. And by the way, that's what Bama used last season against Texas to find some success at pressuring the quarterback. Uh, and oh, on defense, I'll throw out their defense because defense doesn't have a lot of weaknesses, man. They were a really stout unit last year. Inside cuts, inside cuts, slants, post routes, glance routes. Man, the I, I would I would give it to you right now, but I just upset you. The numbers of completion rate and first down touchdown rate of Texas giving up inside leverage on slants routes and that burst route. That's the the route that uh, Quentin Johnson ended up wide open on and uh, Kate Warner for case they ended up wide open on those routes. They were a problem for Texas and late switch routes when they were in pattern match coverage. That's when guys ended up wide open because the defensive backs were passing off routes in coverage in pattern matching. And then there was a miscommunication. So those are two things you got to work on out there in the secondary. If you're going to you know, get, get better. And I think that's a way to attack Texas early on. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the On Texas Football Tuesday Night Live stream. We want to thank Energy Texas, of course, for sponsoring the show. We want to thank all of our Super Chats, all you guys that tuned in. We definitely appreciate it. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button as well. You can ring the bell. It'll notify you anytime a new video from On Texas Football is posted. Don't forget to head on over to InsideTexas.com for all the latest and greatest in Longhorn coverage. And uh, yeah, Jerry, me and you, and Bobby, of course, will be back tomorrow morning, bright and early at 8 a.m. So yes, be sure to catch that. And uh, yeah, so unless anybody else has anything to add, I guess that's going to do it. And for Rod Babers and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Hook em.